Welcome to the Athletic Evolution podcast. Today I'm speaking with Annie Bruce, who's the SNC coach at our Merchant Taylor School. So thanks for coming to the podcast, uh, Andy. No problem. Um, so just to kick us off, for those who aren't familiar with you, can you give us a bit of an overview of your own athletic background? Um, yeah, athletic background. I'm probably about as average as average comes. Um, I sort of did a bit of a lot of Molly sports stuff when I was younger. Um, I think I started playing football. Um, did a bit of rugby and cricket were the things I mainly focused on going through university um, and then uh, when I sort of started my professional career after university I um, broke my leg um, playing rugby um, and then in, ended up getting into an endurance sport I sat on the couch for a little while getting a bit overweight and feeling sorry for myself and some friends decided that they wanted to cycle to Paris. So I did that and never looked back really after that so I did a few Ironmans and um, now I sort of focus on swim run um, it's a very small sport, but basically you run around in a wetsuit and swim in your shoes. You do it in pairs. Um, it's a bit of a bit of an adventure. <clears throat> you end up just sort of swimming to an island, running around it, swimming to another island or, or wherever the course takes you. Um, so that's sort of my main focus now. But again, um, you say athletic in the in the loosest sense of the word. <laughs> um, I just do it. I'm, I'm a recreational endurance athlete, I would say. I'll yeah. describe myself as. Okay. Okay. And in terms of your coaching journey, what does that look like for you? So going from uh, from studying and and just competing yourself, how have you kind of transitioned into coaching? Yeah, it, mine's a very very convoluted sort of story. So uh, I'll try to be as brief as possible, but bear with me as I go. I mean, I started and went to university initially in Southampton and did a master's in marine biology, um, which is not your normal route into SNC, I don't imagine. Uh, <laughs> I left Southampton. Uh, you know, I wanted to save the world in terms of you know all the environmental problems we're facing. Ended up working for a multidisciplinary consultancy company. Um, all around the country. I was on this graduate scheme, so I ended up working in Leeds, Bristol, London, um, in you know rail engineering, civil engineering, town planning. Uh, I ended up in the sustainability team uh, based in London. Became quite disillusioned with the whole process. Um, I probably worked for about three years, and you know, unfortunately, when you're doing sort of carbon footprinting of companies, you realise that they're meeting these commitments largely because of money, not mm-hmm. actually because they want to uh, do something and really change the world um or stop screwing it up quite so badly and so i i was looking for other things um at a similar time um a friend called me up and suggested um he wanted to do a race which was called polar challenge so it was racing in the north pole um so we spent sort of a couple years not really focusing on my job um (laughs) together the money to do enter the race i think it was something like sixty-seven and a half thousand pounds for the team to enter the race which is just bonkers um but got there did the race Pulled out the race. Very, very long story, which we won't go into now. Um, amazing learning experience. Um, and basically, that sort of was the catalyst for my career. During that process, we were sponsored by a um, sports uh, injury clinic in London called Pure Sports Medicine. And um, I was given um, weekly S&C sessions just as part of that sponsorship and sort of weekly massage therapy and things like that. So, uh, you know, I was just sort of in, into my training um, and the the coach there at the time you know I just thought this is a cool thing to be able to do like working with people's things they really care about um, so yeah I then eventually left my job and I thought you know ha, you know I was getting more and more interested in sort of the mental side of, of, of these challenges again you know racing to the North Pole it's much more sort of psychological than it necessarily is like this physical mm-hmm. uh, speed or process um, and decided to try and become I'll try my hand at being a sport and exercise psychologist um the route into that again I didn't have a background in psychology with my master's in marine biology so I didn't want to do an undergraduate degree which would be the normal route into um the the pathway for becoming chartered um so I did a master's in psychology at UEL uh, whilst I was um that still uh trying to earn a bit of money and, and working um and then I um I can't even really remember now I then I went on to Brunel and did a master's in sport and exercise psychology um spent about a year starting to pursue the process I basically ran out of money by then I cashed in my pension scheme from my my company <laughs> all of this um this was just before fees became sort of unlimited and went up to sort of nine grand a year as well which was I was quite keen to get that done before that point in time um 
Yeah, so then I real I'd run out of money, so I started working. Uh, I think in recruitment to uh, keep keep paying the bills and and build up a few more savings. Um, and uh, yeah, realised that that the route to chartership was again it was a, a newly set out thing by the British Psychological Society at the time, or rel- relatively new, and, and it didn't seem like many people were sort of taking it up. And I was actually advised by a mentor who was going to potentially mentor me through the process to say, look you have an opportunity now where you can probably go and start start working within your scope of practice and start helping people there's no need to really follow this chartership it's not going to um it's not going to necessarily change you know how you work with people or or or, or really anything about your credentials so I, I sort of i stepped away from that um and i'd always enjoyed the gym work and thinking back to my time at pure sports medicine i decided to um you know, I looked at who people talk to and talk to about their sort of not psychological problems. People rarely go and sit in front of a psychologist as the first mm. call. Mm. Um, and, you know, working on the coaching floor, I would talk to my massage therapist. I'd talk to my S&C coach about what was going on in my life and my problems and that sort of thing. A bit of like an agony aunt almost. Uh, <laughs> but I thought, you know, I just I've always enjoyed the gym. I decided to upskill myself through the UKCA, did their accreditation over sort of a couple of years process uh, as and when I could afford it. Um, and then once I had that, I basically like took the plunge um quit my job um and incorporated my own company um and i worked so through my masters in sport and exercise psychology i've become interested in eating disorders as well again it's a very common um um problem within um athlete, athletics populations um so i um did a master practitioner course with the national center for eating disorders as well um providing sort of an aspect of therapeutic support within a team setting um so i basically do that now so it was just mm. snc um, eating disorders um, and since then I've done other things as well um, always upskilling I, I have a, a thirst for knowledge and I absolutely love learning so I'll, I'll, if you if you point a course in my direction I'll probably sign up to it and uh, <laughs> uh, I can vouch for that yeah so very very convoluted backgrounds not through the normal routes necessarily mm-hmm. um, yeah that's mm-hmm. kind of where I am now I suppose <laughs> it's good it's I really like hearing um, people's journeys because mine's a little bit more straightforward but still got twists and turns but um yeah, when you actually dig into maybe the the kind of challenges people have faced, you see how committed people are to becoming SNC coaches or becoming professionals in their industry. And actually, it wasn't just a case of A to B to C to D and here you are. It's actually, there's been a bit of hardship, a bit of kind of digging in, gritting your teeth and kind of yeah. really, really wanting to go to the next level. Yeah, definitely. I, I There were points in time. I and mean, my first job out of uni was like pretty well paid relative to my peers um you know they were paying for like we had like a luxury apartment up in like Leeds and stuff like that there was a sauna there was a gym downstairs I was like this is really cool I've made it I'm I'm there and then like sacking it all in just as my peers were starting to accelerate through their career, career progressions and then I'm sort of cycling across London into East London to go to uni and you know you've got I just I just thought what am I doing now why have I gone five steps backwards to do this um mm. so it really you know it really channels your focus um and i you know i certainly did things better the second and third time around with regards to my sort of university education um because mm-hmm. i was there for completely different reasons you know a lot more skin in the game <laughs> yeah 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 so um, in terms of your own practice what coaches have kind of influenced your own coaching and your own delivery and why um yeah i mean it's from an ssc perspective it's it's your usual um your usual uh, sort of uh, offenders i suppose as you describe it i absolutely <laughs> love dan john's stuff um, I, I read everything he writes. I just love the simplicity of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm on the Strength Coach Network, so I like listening to the Strength Coach podcast with um, you know Mike Boyle. Um, his, I like his criticality of thought. You know, you know he's been in there for a long time, and again, his background has brought him into sort of not, you know, he does what works because he knows it works, as opposed to this is what you should always do. Um, I really like Ian Jeffrey's stuff on game speed and things like that. But I mean, you know, I think almost every time you ask that question, you'll get like the same sort of answers to a degree. I think my my main influence comes from my very convoluted journey into snc so i like to see things um i've got good criticality of thought i'd like to think certainly from the from the having gone through several master's degrees i keep hammering that one home Mm -hmm. um and and also it's just the it's the integrated nature of things you know like starting in marine biology you don't just look at like the biology of an animal it's all about you know the the chemistry of the water column the physical oceanography um and nothing exists in isolation so it's trying mm. to i like seeing things um and getting information from like as many disparate sort of subjects and trying to see the connections that, that might have to, to snc really is the it's probably my main driver i've got you know 
audible account i listen to so many books um i couldn't even tell you what i've listened to recently <laughs> mm-hmm. um that those are the things that probably influence me the most um n- less so like an individual you know if you were to look at what i do on a on a day-to-day basis in the coaching i, I couldn't tell you where i've stolen it from but i've stolen it from somebody um <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's it's uh it's more it's more a melting pot than a particular main influencer if that makes sense so obviously you know given your kind of journey and given the twists and turns and the kind of challenges that you face you must have quite a strong kind of underlying purpose or why for for why you want to coach so what is that what is it that, that drives you to get up in the morning and go and coach um yeah that's a really good question i so i went to the school i currently now work at um very ancestral sort of um, coming back to, to, to where i left the the main drivers of a, of a school you know very fortunate to be able to go to an independent school um the main drivers are you go to university to get a degree and it's all about preparing you to get the grades to go to good university get the degree and then go to get a job and become a part of the workforce or whatever that might be yeah um and i suppose my journey was that i didn't when i was I would think back to when I was being made to choose to select what I wanted to do. And I chose marine biology because I thought, well, I like biology and I kind of like the sea. So I'll, I'll go do something <laughs> like that. Um, and, and I, to be honest, I think that was as good a reason as any to choose a, a degree path, to do something you enjoy. Um, because you, I had friends and colleagues that were doing, you know, management degrees because they want to get their head in business. And fine, but, you know, they weren't necessarily happy because they didn't see what they were kind of doing. Um, so w- what's my why? I, I want to be able to better advise people um than perhaps i would advise not as advised poorly but i think there are alternative pathways for most people certainly now when you think about working in a school setting what are we educating the boys for um what what are we preparing them for in the future i, I don't know i don't think it's going to be what it was like when we left school and left university um it's a very very quick changing landscape out there um and i and i think the things that people could hold on to are, are finding what's important to them what they really enjoy and having the confidence to be able to chase and hold on to that um that's kind of why i do what i do um it's a it's a cool setting to be able to do it in um yeah it's interesting that nothing you said there was anything about running faster jumping higher or getting bigger or stronger um mm-hmm. which is often what people just perceive our jobs as so it's really interesting that there's actually a far more holistic kind of uh perspective yeah i think i think strength and conditioning is just a platform for self-development yeah, um that's why it's so it's so cool that it, it has so many transferable uses and it has such an important place in educating people. Um, you know, anybody will, will, who, whether they work in private or, or, um, or sort of a club setting, you know, will have experienced, I hope, that sort of personal growth that uh, the person you're working with goes through. Um, that's what I really sort of get my kicks out of, I suppose, when I see that in somebody, um, because I've been through that process and I know how, satisfying it is to kind of kind of have those penny drops and those um, mm. moments where you realize you know what's actually important and what you really enjoy doing mm. so why coaching kids uh, in particular why not adults why not senior professionals what what is it about working with kids and for the most part in the day-to-day that kind of draws you to that um yes um i don't i don't think initially i i had a a plan i was just kind of out there to just kind of work work get any work any someone <laughs> um, we are talking snc what five six years ago so if there's yeah. any work for you you're lucky yeah so i mean i actually initially just sort of started I, I was i knew about the school and the setup and there was an old merchant tailors rugby club so i just went and volunteered my time to do some of that and then thought okay well maybe i can get some you know um experience in the school there's a school that has all these sports teams maybe they need some help um so actually it was just through the fact that there was opportunity there um, or potential opportunity there, should I say, um, to to work with people with um, athletic aspirations, I suppose. Um, but the more I've become involved in it, um, the sort of more I enjoy it. Really, I think you, you know, when you are hoping to sort of influence or enable change in people, um, children have this. You know, there's such a rich opportunity to do so. They're they're very impressionable, um, which mm-hmm. is good thing and a bad thing at the same time so if you if you lead them down the wrong path you you, you're responsible for doing so um but you know the in in terms of like working um working with children i think it's just a fantastic they just remind you of like you know you can't you can't necessarily bullshit in front of them they'll call Mm -hmm. you out pretty early doors um and um you just get these these hilarious moments 
on a daily basis where someone will say something funny. I mean, it's who isn't really a kid at heart anyway. I, I, my mental age is probably about 17 or 18 still. So um, perhaps I just enjoy messing around. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'd probably I th- I'm yet to come across someone who works with kids that acts like an old person. Yeah, um, you know, like like you think about like Shane, you know, he's real young, enthusiastic and mentally like once get stuck in you, me, like there's like, loads of people who are working with kids and it keep, I think it keeps you young, but it keeps you kind of grounded and you don't take yourself too seriously. And yeah, yeah, and uh, I always think about that when I go and uh, certainly things like Child's Champion, where or when Simon's doing like a, a strength lab um, sort of practical. Like people are enjoying it a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It's a bit like the the parkour one that James Baker did at performance. Yeah. I was having a whale at the time. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. <laughs> um, so, do you have a particular philosophy that you try to follow in your own coaching, or that you've tried to implement at MTS? Um, I have a few sort of values that I try to weave into the things that I do. Um, and I still want to, I feel like, I, you know, simplicity is one of them. And I feel like I still actually want to whittle down my list of, of things that are really important to me mm. um, from that basis. But I, I can't seem to sort of move away from these sort of several sort of tenets that I think are really important in 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 applying sort of strength and conditioning in, in any setting. Um, so simplicity is one of them. Um, you know, you don't need to make things any more complicated than they should really need to be. Um, you know, only certain people are actually really interested in the nitty gritty. Um, you've got to remain adaptable. Um both you know in in your programming um you know things happen that you don't expect to happen um and uh, you need to be able to respond to that in some way the world out there um sport is is unpredictable in lots of different ways um and i think we need something to sort of manage that process mm-hmm. um it's got to be suitable to the individual um you know everybody is different everybody has their own story as boring as they may be um, you know, I find my story interesting, um, but that might only just be me. But I would certainly want anybody that coaches me to appreciate that and take that to account. You know, I have certain strengths, I have certain weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the other ones? Uh, integration. Um, there's certainly, um, you know, in a school setting in particular, but, you know, lots of what SNC coaches talk about and lots of the barriers come from people working in these sort of different environments. And they all have their own little different responsibilities. But, you know, you really get a lot more out of the combined program where people actually start working together for the same cause and you get special things starting to happen. Um, and then just sort of more personal ones for me, honesty and, and, and consistency. Like it's just all about, you know, you can get away with a lot of stuff if you're just really honest with people. Um, and, you know, if you if you sell them down the down a path that, you know, you're, you can't deliver upon, you're going to you're going to come into a lot of problems um so just being really honest and consistency like it's the most boring boring principle it's like you know it's people want change now or six minute abs or whatever it might be but it's like okay what you're doing will work just do it for maybe six to eight more years and you'll you'll kind of be there but no one wants mm. the message but it just seems to be this ever-present truth that kind of keeps bubbling to the surface um so just i always try to ram that one home of consistency um because I think what well, it's just so important for anybody that's ever been really successful at something um, or achieved much is they've they've done something consistently along the process. So yeah, kind of those those six things. I, and I still wonder if I can whittle them down. Who knows? Yeah, no, that's that's a great list, and I have to say that there's a lot there that is very similar for me. The simplicity one, like my coaches would would back that up. That I'm always hammering to keep it simple um, because you know this, the more complicated we get, the more we get away from our main kind of objective. But also that um, that last one you're talking about consistency, that's a massive one for me. I often say to, to my athletes, I'm a good coach, but I'm not a magician. You've got to be here. You know, like I can't make you better if you're at home on the couch. Like you've got to actually turn up and put the work in. And actually, you know, like you've said, it's doing that for six to eight to ten years that's going to get you there. It's not doing it for a week and then not fancying it one day. It's, you know, the yeah. guys that I see who've gone on to bigger and better things are the guys who, if they weren't there, there'd been some sort of, serious emergency you know it wasn't just it was too cold for them that day you know it's that commitment and that consistency that really drives things uh, and it really rings true especially within sort of youth sport you know all we know about well what we seem to know about sort of long-term athlete development is that you want to you know for your for your later maturers and your late specialized specialization sports you want to keep people in the process for absolutely as long as possible um because then you can really undercut uncover those sort of gems that you might have otherwise looked over but you know part of the reason they then become the, the potentially unbelievably good athletes that they are is because of that they've they've not given up they've put in those hours during that period mm. 
well during mm. that process. So yeah, I think it's really important. And it's one of the within the P department that we're working with, working within at the moment is is one of the values that we sort of have is consistency. Is one of the messages we want to teach the boys, regardless of whether they want to become an athlete or not. Um, it's just consistency is one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in your opinion, what does success look like in a youth athletic development program? Um, I mean, I I don't work within a youth athletic development program per se. Um, the school is a is a sort of different structure that sort of sits there. Um, you know, the kids are going to the school to become educated. And I think, you know, essentially what we're trying to prepare them for is empowering them with the knowledge, skills and confidence to be able to go on and do anything they kind of want to do physically for the rest of their life. They need to be able to look after themselves physically. Um, what does that mean? What does that look like? It can look like a lot of different things. Um, and so it really becomes quite difficult to achieve that in sense of, well, it becomes difficult to measure that. Like we don't have the necessarily the resources to go and ask every single kid that leaves the school, you know, what are your physical lifestyle habits like um, and how have those changed over your lifetime and how well do you think we prepared you for that? Um, so you kind of keep going back to those principles um, of, of the things that the skills that you know are necessary, like planning and problem solving skills and organizational skills um, and just understanding what, what matters and what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- what success looks like for us is that, you know, I don't I don't want to hear or I don't want to ever come across somebody and perhaps that maybe close my ears to it. But I don't ever want to come across someone and say, like, you know, when I did P or I remember when I went to Merchant Taylor School and I did sport, um, you know, it made me feel like I wasn't any good at it or I didn't enjoy it or I couldn't do something. Um, and actually, a really close friend who I meet up with, I was friends with him through, well, through sort of since the age of seven, went through Taylor's with him as well. Um, and he was talking about when we went to prep school and how P made him feel um, and how that has kept him away from certain sports. And he did, he's got into kendo recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, like, he got this moment of anxiety before he went in because he just got all his memories of what it was like when he was doing P at school. And you think, wow, you know, I bet those teachers back then had no idea that they're still that what they did impacts this person in this way now. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, I don't want that to happen. Like, that's something I really don't want to happen for anybody that goes through physical education at Merchant Taylor School um, or anywhere, really, um, or anyone that comes into the gym when I'm working there. <laughs> mm. So it's really about giving people positive experience and wanting them to come back again. Yeah, I, that, that word I use, empowering them. Um, you know, it's they're going to be let out into the in the big wide world. And, I, you know, what does it look like? It looks like somebody who doesn't necessarily have to go to personal training. Go, I have no idea what I'm doing when I go to the gym. Mm. Um, they have, a, they understand the principles and the purposes of like, you know, the principles of training are not are not that complex. You can teach them to somebody pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, oh, it must be more complicated than that. And you're like, no, well, no, it's not really that much more complicated. Um, just do the right things at the right time in a consistent manner and keep doing them and you know put a bit of variety in there so you enjoy them you know and just don't ignore these principles and then they will you'll probably be okay um you know we're not looking to produce elite athletes you don't have to be an elite athlete to be healthy and actually probably you're slightly unhealthy because if you if you follow that path perhaps but um yeah it's, it's a very tricky one um and it's and it's something that's difficult to kind of keep hold of um you know when we're looking at what does success look like within a p lesson you know just because they haven't got a skill necessarily, you just don't want them to leave thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to get this. You want them mm-hmm. to leave to come in thinking, I'm going to give that a go next time and I'm going to be better at it next time when I come back and I'll, I'll be slightly closer to to mastering that skill or, or getting a bit good enough at it that I could give it a go in another context maybe. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, like you previously mentioned, those transferable skills because um, I completely agree that there's so much. I mean, you look at all these studies that are coming out about the benefits and, and it always has some different sport attached to it, right? It'll be parkour, it'll be open water swimming, all these benefits. But it's actually, what's the common common denominator? It's people are exercising. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we know about the benefits psychologically of exercise. We know about the benefits for, uh, you know, insulin control. We know about, you know, prevention of heart disease and all these kind of things. There's so many, you know, benefits from exercise. And people always talk about if we could, you know, put it into a pill, it would be the cure-all. But actually, so many people get turned off at so young because of such a negative experience at school. So, you know, I, I completely agree, like even for myself, like, you know, working in Scottish rugby, my mandate's to kind of churn out as many professionals as we can. But at the same time, those guys who don't go on to become professional or don't play at a high level, 
exactly the same as you i want guys to be able to go into the gym understand what they're doing you know be able to live healthy lives um you know just because the fact they didn't sign a professional contract doesn't mean we failed actually our remit is wider can we create guys that that understand those transferable skills and want to you know continue their their journey in physical activity beyond what, what they've experienced with us yeah, no, 100%. Um, and, I, and I think back to the Child Champion Conference, I think it was Alan McDonald gave a, um, a talk on the PCDs, the psychological characteristics for developing excellence. And mm-hmm. they've spoken about, I think, at the UKCA conference as well by was it Dave Collins. Um, but things like, yeah, like planning and problem solving is like a key one. Um, like, uh, what are the other ones? Um, goal setting, just like simple goal setting, like understanding like what what's achievable what isn't at a given sort of time like role clarity like understand what you can sort of can control what you can't control support networks that you know really really key ones like it, recovering from an injury recovering from an eating disorder like everybody who accesses support networks they just seem to do a bit better than when they don't and understanding that that you know that support network can look like lots of different things as well um so those those are things we're trying to culture um I suppose I, I do struggle sometimes with with the sort of models that we have for athletic development. They're always like these pyramids or these like sort of straight lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm going to forget the name now of the person, um, the guy down in New Zealand. Um, oh, Craig Harrison. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about sort of like um, a playground or garden of development. And I, I much more prefer that idea than than say like a sort of your your foundation development and then performance because you know, you can have different characteristics that sit at different levels on that pyramid. Whereas I, I sort of associate with the idea a bit better of just like being in a playground, like going over to one thing, trying out a skill and then going over to another one and trying something else or, you know, a garden as well. So something grows um, and, the, you know, you can have lots of different stages of growth of different things as you're going around. And I think perhaps maybe in the future we need a sort of a better analogy for sort of capturing wh- how you know our expectations of how these things progress over a period of time as well um but yeah that's just another block there i randomly have there <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you you highlighted the word problem solving because that's a big one for me um like so i've created a, a mission statement and a philosophy document for the caledonia region of the scottish rugby academy and, and the kind of our tagline is about creating athletic robust rugby players who are capable of problem solving to an elite level on and off the pitch and the reason why i say problem solving is because for me that's a term that encapsulates nutrition, psychology, personal management, um, physical, you know, challenges, technical challenges, tactical, you know, so it, it's a it's a kind of catch-all word, if you like, that is about being able to engage your brain, your brain, analyze what's happening in front of you and come up with a solution. And day to day, I come across guys who can't do that, yeah. um, who come to you and say, I couldn't, I can't get to training. It's like, okay, well, what methods have you tried? Oh, and the mum and dad can't give me a lift. Okay, so could you cycle? Could you catch a bus? Could you walk? Yeah. Could you get a lift with a mate? You know, there's like, they're not, they've not gone to the the process of working through their options, or even as simple as, I'm in Tesco and it's 10 o'clock at night. What can I buy that's remotely healthy? Or yeah. you know, like just the idea of engaging what's between their ears to think, okay, the ideal scenario is gone. How do I adapt and overcome? And that is a huge skill. And and what I try to say to my guys is that is the skill that will determine how far you go. Because the 80 minutes on a pitch is one very small part of a week's training. And if you can't turn up on time, can't have the right kit, can't adapt to the challenges that are going to pop up constantly, you're not going to make it. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, yeah, it's always funny to hear. We've got a, we've got a three strikes and, and um, not an out policy. Um, so, like, for example, with the cricket boys, like uh, if they turn up late, I mean, this is to the minute, to the second on the clock, essentially. If they turn up late, they get one strike. And if they turn up late three times, they then have to do one of their sessions in like full whites. Yeah. Pads. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, so like it's you know, a bit of bit of fun and, and messing around. But, you know, some of the excuses you hear are brilliant. Like, um, you know, I'm late. Why? Uh, I had to. Well, actually, <laughs> it's funny what we're talking about for this call. But like um, a kid said he had to defrost the car. Um, and I was like, what did you not expect the car to be to be defrosting up in January and it, <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning? Like and yeah. this kid lives like five minutes away as well. It's uh, yeah. It's it's also not you know not allowing them to get away with certain excuses in a in a safer environment mm-hmm. because you know life's unfair. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, be a lot yeah. of stuff thrown your way where you're not even gonna bother trying giving that excuse um, <laughs> mm, later down no, the line. Definitely. So give us an idea of the overview of the kind of wide range of a- athletes and I guess general public as well that you coach on a day to day basis. Yeah, so I, I do a, a very small amount of sort of personal training, as it were, with a couple of people that I so, so you know and like coaching, basically. Um, but at school, it's uh, 11 to 18 year old boys. 
um, involved in some sort of PE lessons um, from time to time. Now it's not really heavily on my timetable at the moment. It has been in the past, maybe in the future. Um, but essentially, I do uh, provide support for the rugby, cricket, cricket, and hockey programs at, at Taylor's. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the main term, like say rugby in the autumn term, they'll have two sessions um, in the morning, like on a Monday and a Wednesday before school. Um, and then there'll be one other session for the squads of uh, cricket and hockey that week. Um, and then um, there's also the sports scholarship program that, that happens on the other morning of the week, which I might um, dive into and help out with. Um, but I'm supervising the gym every single lunchtime and I'm providing and I'm also in the gym during games options um, and or out on pitches with um, with the rugby team, for example, providing sort of sessions um, to the rugby team. And it, and it changes from time to time, depending on what coaches are available for those squads, um, what, what season they're in, um, what their demands are of their training. Um, so, yeah, basically in the gym pretty much throughout the week at lunch times and I'm there every day before school to some degree with, with a squad with one or another squads. Um, and, and whatever squad comes to me might be different. But let's say, you know, the cricket might bring some of the younger athletes along. Um, the, the, the rugby squad might be more the senior squads and the senior athletes. Um, it really depends on what's going on in that program at that given time. Mm. Um, but, yeah, nice variety. Um, the the, the programmes are surprisingly similar, to be honest. Um, there are far more commonalities between those boys at that age between yeah. the sports and there are different mm-hmm. um, but you know you throw in some special things you know for them to make them think that they're doing something just for their sport um, yeah. <laughs> it helps them anyway so I tripped you um, yeah yeah that's really not, honestly, that's specific. I would tell them that if they asked <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so what's been the process of uh, of kind of establishing SNC in an independent school like MTS um yeah really really slow to start with i suppose i mean i've been there for four nearly five years now um there wasn't an advertised role i knew about it because i knew the school was there because i went to the school um i it probably took 18 months of emailing um a uh, the director of sport to and offering my services for free to be able to even come in um i got my foot in the door to do like a day with the sports scholars it was on their sports scholarship day um, and I just did a little gym session with them and talked to them a bit about nutrition. Um, and then it started off with basically five to six hours a week with predominantly their sports scholars. Um, again, the focus and again, I'm not sure where it comes from. Um, but you get these these relics of sort of like or, or offshoots of sort of professionalization of sport just being cherry picked and placed into sort of these types of school environments, which isn't necessarily the sort of way about it. You go if you were designing it from the ground up. Um, but normally the focus is, right, we've got an S&C coach, you know, an S&C coach is coming in. They've got to be working with our elite athletes and we'll give them the best athletes we've got. Yeah. Um, our elite 12-year-olds. Scholars and then sort of the main senior squads. And it built up over time um, to sort of what it is now. But it was, you know, it's a very, very gradual process. Initially, you know, there was no cricket s There was no hockey s really to begin with. It was, you know, there's a really obvious transfer to rugby and, and the just how so happened that the rugby coach was far more on board with it and proactive at the time to kind of take advantage of the, the offering that was there. So it built up slowly over time that way. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of barriers to break down with cricket in particular. None of the boys really had done any s and um, And so they, you know, they've come in a lot slower, but they've, you know, I've, we now, I now work with the director of cricket on the, on the s mornings with them. We have nearly 30 boys coming in on, on once a week. Um, so we split the groups across, do some speed acceleration work, um, yeah, I have them in the gym, the other half of them, and then swap them over and sort of a carousel. We've got quite a small gym, unfortunately, probably safe for about 15 boys to train in there at one time. Um, so when we get 30 boys coming on, we all want to do it at the same time. You, you have yourself a, you have yourself some problem solving to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that uh, kind of leads nicely into my next question in terms of what sort of challenges have you faced in integrating S&C into the school environment, whether that's like curriculum, stigma, some of the logistical elements that you mentioned? Um. So the school is, um, you know, it's an old institution. I think it's 1561. It was founded. OK, so it was very funny going to America and Canada on a rugby tour and being taken around Boston on the Freedom Trail. And they're like, this is the oldest cemetery in Boston. And the kids are rolling their eyes because they've seen it before. And it's like 1650. And we're like, ah, school's older than that. It's like older than America. So they don't really. Um, but unfortunately, what comes with a school that, that age is that there are things that have been set up that have got nothing to do with enabling or making any easier physical training or sports performance um, and so what you have is a very siloed um, system and again I you probably get this in other organizations around the country um, people doing their own thing 
almost independent from one another. They're doing a very good good job of what they're doing often, um, but they're not necessarily communicating or talking to each other. Um, schools change incredibly slowly. We live and die by the terms. And if you don't get something in and you want to change something by a certain point in time, you might as well kiss goodbye to the rest of that term and maybe even half of the next term before you can actually sort of implement it. Because again, with the extracurricular overload that these boys have at independent school, they're insanely lucky. They have so many things they can possibly go and do um, that, you know, they're very, very busy and they're time poor um, a lot of the time. And there's only so many extracurricular activities you can do before school um, in the lunch hour and then after school that that is feasible before it just becomes just stupid what you're actually asking of them. Mm. Um, I, remember when, I remember when I went there, I, I did a lot of music and I was do, I was probably doing, you know, I was doing um, concert bands, senior orchestra, um, chamber orchestra, got all sorts of stuff, like all my lunch hours and all my lunch periods. So that would, and there are different priorities. So they're there to go for academic performance. They're not there to become elite athletes, essentially, at the, at the end of the day. Um, they're there to get good grades to go to a university. So there are different priorities. So if you're asking um, a boy to come and turn up to the gym, uh, but they are not performing academically there is a conversation to have and the answer is they're definitely not prioritized like just come to the gym anyway that's not how you would do things mm -hmm. um so yeah very big organization it's lots of decentralized control so lots of responsibility for certain things sit with random teachers around the school and it's not necessarily clear where that is so you have to work out where the control the control of the power lies for say you know data management um or or whatever it might be um, so it it can be very tricky to sort of negotiate that that system um, in the right way at the right time. And you need a lot of patience <laughs> because um, it does take a lot of time. So how have you kind of overcome some of these challenges? Is there any particular I mean, are they all fairly individual? Or is there any kind of method you've had for kind of attacking them? Um, well, I think, you know, that patience lies into the consistency thing again, just being there all the time and being there at a certain time. It's like you can come and find me and speak to me at the gym. I will be at the gym every single lunchtime um that's where i'll be you know you'll find me there often people are off doing different things at different times depending on their timetable what duties they're on if you want to speak to another staff member you know you've got a classroom number god knows where that classroom is i'm not going to be able to even go and find them or spend a half hour when i've got a i could rather be doing something else or so that that consistency and that patience is a really important part of it um but and again i've stolen this idea or this phrase from somewhere it's like what is your highest point of contribution so you know understanding that I can probably help at a systemic level and targeting change at systemic level will be the best investment in time as opposed to trying to just repeatedly bang your drum and trying to change from the ground up mm -hmm. um, because that that would take a very long time to filter the story through so um, things like the injury record form within with we didn't really track injuries before it was very difficult to track and trace them um, so it's probably taken nearly a year but we now have changed the off games policy so when a kid or a boy what says he's off games um in theory he will go to the library on a wednesday uh, to register for off games and he'll either sit there and do some work but now part of that process is they fill out a form on the school's internal system to say what their injury was when they got it um what referrals they've been given um and we now have a, a physio system so we have a physio coming on on tuesday and a wednesday lunchtime and when we get those emails through they pop up in my inbox and they pop up in the physio's inbox um and we basically go look this kid's got a recurrent back injury. You know, he's 13 years old. He shouldn't have a recurrent back injury. Uh, he's not even an athlete, but we can get him seeing the physio. And he, he then engages in the process of speaking to a physio and understanding, you know, that he, you need to be proactive. You can't just rest something and hope it gets better. It probably will get better over a period of time, but it won't solve your problem. Um, and so, like, targeting those changes and putting my effort into getting uh, an injury record form implemented in the school system and integrated into the school system is the best way of the way I can spend my time in certain situations. Um, we've got, um, you know, what else have we done? Um, yeah, so some things are a lot easier to change. So like the, the Dave, the guy that runs catering, absolute legend. You know, currently the boys were just getting porridge after their early morning SSC sessions. You know, can we get some flavoured milk in there? You know, so some of that crusher with, with milk. It's something like 30p for like two glasses of like large glasses of milk for each boy. Like that is an affordable, easy, super quick change. The kids absolutely love it. It goes from like one week's strawberry, one week's banana, the next week's chocolate. You know, what an easy win for something like four pound a squad 
every morning that they do it like that's affordable within the budgets of the school affordable within the budgets of the teams um and a, and a quick and easy win but that you know that's far more effective saying guys there's a milkshake in the in the in the cafeteria now than me going make sure you get some protein in after this yeah yeah, you know, yeah yeah that requires them to understand what protein is know how to source it having planned and prepared to bring their protein in it's like there's protein over there go and yeah. have some mm-hmm. um so yeah that's that's trying to trying to understand what your highest point of contribution is picking your battles um you'll you'll come up it's a lot of resistance in lots of different ways and often it's really not even worth the argument you're just better off getting the things you can kind of fix um and again not to say i'm like too much of a, a rogue i haven't really done anything but you can probably get away in these environments with quite a lot before you have to you know better to ask for forgiveness than permission like mm. obviously not when you're using like you know data from boys and things like that you've got to be very very careful with what you're doing but um you probably get quite a long way and start making the changes you want to see and then going and then sort of saying, look, I've been doing this. It's had a really beneficial change and impact on the boys. I've measured it in this way. Um, can I keep doing it or until somebody starts asking questions? You, you can, you know, it's probably the best way to go about it. It's certainly in a system where most people are busy just doing their own thing. Mm. Um, you know, as long as you're, you know, engaging with the right support networks within your team and the right people need to know about it. Um, you can get quite a long way with that as well. Mm. Um, and big, big, another one was, um, you know, large exposure. So um, just getting onto the well-being side of things with the school um, and being able to stand up and talk about physical well-being to like 100, 150 parents once or twice a year is a far, far better way than, you know, trying to get that message through every single individual boy. Because, like, you know, they're at school a certain amount of time, but there's so much they do when they're at home and there's so much is influenced by their parents. Like mm-hmm. you really need to engage their parents. It's, it's vital for any change to really stick. Um, so speaking to them like bust the mist to the parents and say, look, you know, resistance training isn't dangerous. It's kind of probably going to benefit your child. They, they should really be finding some way of doing physical activity. That doesn't have to be sport, but they need to be physically active to sort of protect their long-term health. You know, these are problems you need to help them solve. Um, and together, you know, it's not just their responsibility. That's a really disempowering thing to say, well, you know, it's your responsibility now. Um, you know, often, what we consider to be a barrier to one person is, is a barrier is, is not a barrier to somebody else and vice versa. Um, and so you need to be respectful of that, I think, as well. So looking to create exposure on a broader level um, has been a really useful sort of thing to ways to sort of negotiate some of these barriers. Um, saves a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And doing things with a bit of a scattergun approach rather than, like you say, having one conversation with one boy and another one with another boy. And exactly. It's actually, hang on, this is probably relevant to 60 of you. Let's do it on mass and let's yeah, 100%. You know, be far more efficient. So we're starting to see, I think, in the in the S&C space that um, strength and conditioning or athletic development isn't just about senior elite level performance. It's not just about, you know, the international level track meets or the, the kind of national team programs. But actually, like you're saying, there's there's more to it in terms of well-being and and there's something on offer and the benefits for for athletes in inverted commas or even just human beings at every level. So we're starting. Do you think we're starting to see? coaches kind of specifically choosing to work at the youth and developmental level rather than than senior level performance um yeah i think definitely i think not only because there's an opportunity there uh, so people are starting to cotton on to that that there's a huge um employment opportunity should we say in, in in working with youth athletes um but yeah i mean you've got you know you know having sort of youth specific conferences um that are you know some of the best education opportunities out there for any sort of coach i'd say um certainly within the strength conditioning space at the moment um you know there's there are things you could learn from that that you could transfer to you know a specific sport-based conference but of course that, that works both ways but i think you know some tremendously good content being put out there um it's just an example of the fact that people are really focusing and, and specializing in this as an area which which is necessary because it is a particular population with particular needs and demands um and you know, I was thinking about it. I can't remember. It was, I think, it was the. Um, it was on one of your previous podcasts. It was the guy you had on before um, talking about um, thinking fast and slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Daniel Kahneman, it's that it's that representative heuristic and that base rate neglect is one of those problems. Like most people aren't going to become elite athletes. Yeah. Even if they come to you, okay. So you say like, okay, let's say one percent of the population becomes an elite athlete, if if that's even accurate. It's not going to be many, is it? And they say, well, this kid's really good. They're probably going to, it's like, no, they're probably still not because we get a lot of false positives. You know, you get a kid that's good at something early on, but yet we still sort of, you know, we need to 
you know, zoom out a little bit and, and not fall foul of these fallacies in the same way that, you know, we're reading about and talking about, oh, this is a really good book, but actually what that's what we're doing on a, on a sort of a professional level in some ways. It's like, you know, we're putting this money into this very small percent of the population um, that probably won't actually make it to that percent of the population, if that makes sense. So it's like mm. that the most people will not become elite athletes. So most people need to be trained not to become elite athletes. Not that there aren't, you know, these principles that would really well support you to be an elite athlete at the same time as being a decent person that just gets their physical activity they need to support their own health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, you just need to look at the opportunities out there. It's like, well, most people need this. So there is a huge opportunity to kind of work in that. And I think that's why we're starting to get people starting to to, to specialise in it in particular. So yeah, 100%. Um, and yeah, we're still, we're still on the ground floor, I think. Um, it's time to get on board. Um, yeah no i remember like I, I wrote a blog specifically that similar kind of thing actually like if we had any other kind of industry where your success rate was let's even say five percent yeah let's say five percent of the athletes you coach turn professional which is it's you know that would be an incredible level of success yeah any other any other industry that would be failure yeah like colossal failure um because you set your objectives so high whereas actually okay yes that that is you know the end goal if you like but actually there's much wider goals of giving people positive experiences getting them set up for long lifelong habits of physical exercise and activity and well-being and nutrition that person at the top the top's probably still going to come out because all those things are relevant yeah they're also relevant for the guy who just wants to work in an office but still needs to be physically healthy and active and all that kind of stuff so actually having a wider scope of practice than just i'm going to pump out elite level athletes because if that's your goal you probably get one every other year maybe yeah <laughs> you know you're more or less looking at luck as to whether that athlete falls into your lap um you know something i've definitely learned is that you know i'd you know you you working with youth athletes makes you bloody brilliant as an snc coach because they get stronger and they get faster pretty much no matter what you do Shh, yes. don't tell anybody um sometimes despite the coach not because of it well exactly um and so you know I, you know i was speaking with the director of rugby like one of his previous goals he's changed a lot as a coach over a period of time for, for the better but he's like one of his previous goals was produce a, an international athlete and i'm like you know you you could probably screw them up and stop them from becoming an international athlete but you've got to work pretty hard like once once they're in that system you know they're either going to make it and it's much more down to them um than necessarily like the advice you gave them about sort of rugby or or snc um they're being they're on a different sort of pathway and it's there's very little control on, on, on that side of things. Um, but there is, there's really clear control about whether you're teaching people the right messages at the right sort of time and the right principles, um, that would support just physical health and wellbeing, which is probably the priority. So I think, you know, that's why it will only become a larger and larger sort of, I hate to use the word industry, uh, profession is probably the better word, um, because it, it needs, it needs professionalism in it, um, to support, like youth athletes, they're vulnerable individuals um, and they can't, you, you know, you can't just have any old cowboy rocking up and saying, do this, even if it wouldn't necessarily be that overtly damaging at any one point in time. Um, you, you have a duty of care um, to, to a vulnerable person, essentially, when you're an SNC coach for a youth population. Um, and that needs to be respected, I think. So off the back of that, what tools do you think coaches need to be effective in coaching youth athletes? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this question. It's a, it's a really tricky one. Um I think within the setting that I'm working in, it's the most important thing is probably an understanding of the context um, and trying to understand the athlete as a whole. You know, they are, we're asking them to, you know, nine hours of homework a week. We're asking them to turn up to school for 35 hours a week and sit down at a desk and pay attention and concentrate. And then we're asking them to do all this sport. And then we're asking them to come and do SNC or, and then PE as well at the same time. And just appreciating the context um, as you would, as any coach should um, with working with any individual in any context as understand what else is going on, because, you know, we need a bit of humility to, to kind of get that what we're doing, whilst it might be the, a sensible um, intervention to apply, isn't going to make all the difference. Um, you know, there is there are loads and loads of other things that are going to affect whether that person's successful in whatever they kind of want to do. Um, so like, Humility, understand that we are support staff um, and you're definitely just a very small part. You can be a really important part, but you're a very small part of the picture when it comes to a a child's development. Um, You know, they have so many experiences at such a high rate and they're growing so fast. Yeah, it's anyone's guess as to how 
one individual conversation or one six-week block or one term's worth of work with somebody is going to influence them later down the line. Um, so understanding, you know, that it might not be that, you know, even if you think you've got the best program in the world, that it's going to be that thing that makes a difference. They're going to remember they might still want to come in and do bicep curls when they go to the gym the next time, regardless of how useful you told them that they might or might not be for what they actually want to achieve. Um, yeah. And just understanding the context and being able to communicate to lots of different people. You know, you need to be able to speak to parents. You, know, you need to be able to speak to, to, to the kids. You need to be able to speak to their teachers and their tutors and their staff that come around them. Um, and those are different types of communication in different situations. So, again, it's about appreciating the context of those conversations um, is probably the most important thing. So you've recently been working on an app. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, yeah. So um, in very early stages of development, um, but basically, as you know, part of the problem that we face at an independent school, and I think, and I don't know, maybe if you can echo this with your with your experiences in the academy setups and things, is that it's almost impossible to know what a kid is actually doing. Um, yeah. And you can sit and have a conversation and say, oh, what do you do after school? And they're like, oh, yeah, I did this, this and this. And like, but this person just told me you played like uh, three extra games of hockey at the weekend. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that as well. And you're like, oh, God, OK, that would have been quite important to know. Um, and just because of the, you know, we have a fantastic rugby, cricket and hockey program going on at the school currently. Um, but if I were to ask the coach that is coaching um, a hockey game session, how many other sessions that kid had done in all the different sports, they're not going to know. Um, so basically it's an app to sort of monitor training load. Um, and I know there are, there are, there are systems out there, um, you know, like athlete monitoring that, you know, with all the bells and whistles that will monitor absolutely anything you want to in a different setting, but just a really simple interface for a coach to be able to input their training over a year or a season or a term and say, look, I'm running an SNC session on a Monday and a Wednesday. I've got a game session on a Wednesday and a Monday. I have a, a technical run through on a Thursday and a match on a Saturday. Um, I reckon that's about 60 minutes of rugby. That's about 50 minutes of work. What's their RPE rating? Getting an arbitrary training score and putting it into a training stress graph for them and just simplifying the process so they can go, what I think I'm planning is actually maybe what I am planning. And then there's the opportunity to, for an athlete to go, I injured myself or I feel crap or I feel great or actually that wasn't 10 out of 10 difficult. That was only 5 out of 10 difficult. And just to bring it all together in one place. So that the hockey coach that has an unbelievable hockey player, who's also a brilliant rugby player, can go, are we asking too much of this person at this point in time? Or are we not asking enough of this person, you know? Uh, you know one thing you see is you know you train for six weeks you go away for two weeks of half term they do nothing in that period of time and they come back you're like oh they should be progressing you're like no no they've gone backwards a couple of steps because they've not done any training for two weeks um and so it just gives that transparency across an organization for what on earth is going on which are currently very very muddied waters um so it's a, it's a bid to be able to solve that in a really simple um a simple way and I do that with um, the guy I do my swim run races with, Stephen. Um, he's just recently done, um, uh, you know, a master's in computer science and is keen to test out his coding. So he, he's he got some pretty um, funky training data spreadsheets because he likes that sort of stuff. Um, and he's just applied what he's known, known from there um, with me in terms of the problem that I'm facing within the school setting to try and solve that. Because I don't think it's just what's going on at Merchant Tellers. That's a problem. No, I completely echo that. And and my previous experience, I remember and uh, when I was in the borders, you had a lot of boys in East Lothian and you kind of chat to them and say, oh, I've done double PE. And actually, I trained with the 18s. And then I also trained with the first team, the first team. And I did this. And then oh, I actually got Duke of Edinburgh at the weekend. And, and actually, when you sat down and added it up, the, like the number of hours they were training was more than professionals would have, would have been training. Um, yeah. And that's when you start getting these patella tendinopathies and these issues and you think, what the hell's going on? We're only training three hours a week, but actually they're doing 10 hours spread across five other different activities. Because, like as you say, they're a decent cross-country runner. They also play a bit of hockey, you know, all those kind of things. And I've seen that happen before where someone's getting pulled from pillar to post and none of the coaches are talking. And also the athlete, you know, as much as we'd love our athletes to, to pipe up and say, actually, sir, I've already done X, Y and Z, they don't necessarily have the confidence to do that. Um, or, or the confidence to pull them out of something and say, actually, my coach says this is a bad idea for me to do. And and often it's coaches fighting over territory, isn't it? It's like, well, he has to do this for me and he has to do that for me. Yeah, no, it can be. And it, and actually, you know, this will give you the, the sort of ammunition to say, look, this, you know, by allowing him to do this, you're going to be having him in a better stage of fitness. So it will come to the point where actually it will be like you've got a list of boys and 
you know, they it gives them the option to fill it out. But if it doesn't, it gives them sort of like a, an average or a best guess of what they would have done. Um, and the, the, the aim is to sort of be able to integrate it as well with like school systems. So like maybe a staff member will go and run a register for a game session. But if that athlete doesn't turn up, they haven't had that training stimulus. So what it will do is it will go, this athlete didn't turn up. So they didn't do that training session. So now their training stress graph looks very different to what it would have done. They Or they've all consistently been missing their Wednesday S&C sessions because they can't make it in in the morning um so they're they're you know when you're potentially selecting for a weekend fixture you go like well you know maybe i don't need to play him for the whole match because he's done a hell of a lot and we've got a really important fixture next week you know it allows you to to sort of just make much more sensible and um informed decisions as opposed to because it currently is guesswork um and like when you say with the athlete it's an education tool for the kid as well you know they might not have the confidence they might not have the knowledge to know that, that what they're doing isn't the right thing um but also they, they probably need to learn as well just because they enjoy it that they probably want to do it anyway um mm. but just because they enjoy it it might not mean you know there are consequences you know i only wish i'd known what i knew about snc when i was like 16 17 18 years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> i would have trained so much better um i would have really taken advantage of the fact that i could recover almost instantaneously yeah, um, yeah. and and i'm like you can do this now and this will work now but when you're 20 30 years old and you try and do this you're going to end up in a wheelchair unable to walk for three days because that was a really bad plan and just you know like i say empowering them with that knowledge and giving them the opportunity to kind of to learn about those sorts of things and it without that sort of data you, you don't really have that opportunity it's just a conversation at that point in time and you have to be very compelling otherwise to mm-hmm. be able to get that message across so that's what the app is out there to do um at, more specifically with the school setting it's made to make it easy for coaches just to plan their seasons at the, in, the outset uh, it's an education tool for the kids if they want to engage. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, you're asking about sort of um, things that have influenced me and, and, and listening to sort of stuff that with transferable learning. I really like um, Yuva Harari's writing. Um, he's written Sapiens, um, Homo Deus, and it was the last one, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Um, and one of those, you know, he talks a lot about sort of the, the rise of biotechnology. And I think we're kidding ourselves as S&C coaches if we think that in the very near future, there's not going to be a wearable that is going to completely capture pretty much all the physical activity an individual does over a very given period of time. And to a, to a large degree, making our training load monitoring pretty redundant. There will be a computer that can do that far, far better than us in a not very distant future. Um, so, you know, it works. Hopefully this is a, a step uh, to try and keep pace with the curve that will essentially be, you know, for, for a kid who's not even an athlete, um, so part of uh, Stephen's project for his MSc was basically um, it connects to his iWatch. Um, so whenever he has activity logged on his iWatch, again, you know, there are drawbacks to that sort of level of data, but it will populate his training stress graph in terms of his activity as he goes on day. So you won't even need to ask the kid what they've been doing. If they're wearing like a patch on their arm or it's in their clothes and they've gone around and done something, you can you know exactly what physical activity they've done. And, and I don't think that would be very far ahead, um, those sorts of things. So it's trying to um just trying to st- stay with the curve i've actually started trying to learn a bit of coding because i was like well what skills do i need in the future to prepare me for stuff like i spent ages on spreadsheets doing stuff really really badly um and i know that out there there is like you know just learning sort of a bit of python you can you can get these visualizations i, I want to be able to put this graph out there but i don't know how to do it and and so just spending a bit of time there are so many free courses out there you can learn these sorts of things just to try to you know I'm going to become, probably become redundant as an SNC coach, not on the communication level and be able to talk to an athlete. That's always going to be there. But in a in a terms of like being understand being able to understand and help visualize the data for the athlete, it's going to be a very powerful and important tool, I think, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, th- there's that app there. It's going to hopefully be coming out reasonably soon. I don't really have a timeline on it. Um, it's just I'm looking for people to test it very soon. Um, so if anybody wants to. Um, have a run with an app in their school or club setting trying to measure training loads and monitor training loads we need people to try and use this app break it tell us what doesn't work um, and then yeah use it again <laughs> mm, nice well we'll um, I'll have your contact details at the end so people can get in touch if they if they want to take you up on that but I think uh, off the top of my head I know a few coaches who are probably keen to to, to take that up in similar situations to yourself so yeah. so what advice would you give to those who are coaching youth athletes on a day-to-day level um get out there um just coach get loads and loads of experience um you know there's no better way to learn than working 
out very, very quickly what doesn't work in a heat setting. Um, I remember my first sessions at Taylor's, you know, I planned out this session, there's a warm up, there's ramp warm up, and there's all these cool strength stuff we're doing. And it was in a squash court with three power racks in it and 26 boys turn up. I mean, there's not even enough room for people to stand in the room, let alone do anything. You know, like, right, what do I do now? Um, the whole thing goes out the window. You need to learn that. And the best way to learn that is do it, get it wrong um, and try again better the next time. Go and watch other people coach. Um, you know, I yeah, come and come and come and watch me coach or come come to Taylor's and help out. Please help out at a given session. <laughs> guests at any point in time. I'm not having people knocking the doors down to do that. But yeah, the offer is there. Um, there is so much experience out there to be got, you know, like. Like I say, like when I think back and I reflect on my journey, you know, I do get this kind of, I, you know, you look at a job come up online, you think, oh, God, that's a ridiculous salary. But, you know, I've, I've gone through the stages of like working really hard, earning my money elsewhere just to get the experience because I really want it. Um, mm. And there's no shortcut to doing that and getting that experience. Not to say that I've got it all and I know everything, um, but I know a lot, hell of a lot more than I did when I started out thinking, oh, I've got, I'm doing the UKC accreditation. I know all this sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm at a different stage of, of where I'm in coaching and a lot yeah. more. There's a big difference between theoretical knowledge and applied knowledge. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's what you learn when you finish uni and you start coaching. You suddenly yeah. realize, oh, that textbook had a good idea, but how do I actually carry that out? But there are really minimal barriers to learning that and learning that the right way and not the hard way sort of thing. Just go out and learn that. Just do it. Make mistakes. Like that's what's going to make you better and accelerate you much, much faster, regardless of employment opportunities. Like that will make you a better coach. Just go out and test it out. Don't be afraid. Don't, you know, have that imposter syndrome. Oh, no, it's not going to be good enough. I don't know. Well, what might other people think? You know, everybody has been there. Everybody has been, has delivered a rubbish session and gone, oh, God, that was. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you deliver them, you don't realise it. That's the, kind of the worst stage of it, I suppose. But um, you'll get through it pretty fast. Go and speak to other coaches um, and, and work with them and see what they do. So, that, those are the best things about conferences, mm. I think. Getting the opportunity to watch somebody else do some coaching. So many things you can just pick up, like just little mannerisms, um, things to say. Um, you know, that, that's where that's where getting out and, and learning that stuff is, is valuable at conferences. But you get that on overdrive when you go and spend an hour or half a day with somebody. Mm. and do some work um, I, uh, you, you, your comment there about mistakes uh, made me remember Kelvin Giles uh, workshop in Jersey where he said I've been coaching I think he said something like 40 years or something like that and he said uh, I make less mistakes now <laughs> yeah. that was his summary of four years of coaching was I still make mistakes I just make less of them yeah yeah well there's, yeah, there are loads of things that's like um, coaching gives you I think it well, I think it's Kevin Giles actually it's like um, coaching gives you loads of opportunities to keep your mouth shut use all of them and, <laughs> um, but yeah I mean those, those are things you, you only you only learn by doing I think mm -hmm. there's only so much you can get off a, off a book yeah. So are there any resources you would recommend for people who, who kind of want to uh, expand their, their knowledge or their skill set um yeah i mean i it's more just an approach just be willing to go out and pay for information um i think it opens up so many things so like get an audible account i mean i must have listened to hundreds of books mm -hmm. that i would otherwise never otherwise had the time to sit down and read um and just pick up stuff from as many different things as you possibly can um it's a very interdisciplinary environment strength and conditioning and i think there's loads to be learned from um other arenas and again this is detailed very uh, much more eloquently than i could ever describe in, in books like range um mm -hmm. but yeah get an audible account um get on some of the forums i mean i use strengthcoach.com um, aladdin Yunamanich is um puts out some great information on complementary training um yeah the performance hub like i've signed up to all these things just just get out there and just start trying to absorb as much knowledge like always learn like go to a conference go and speak to people um, go and pick up this information and very very soon you know you you'll you'll have enough out there you'll have enough knowledge and information to be able to start to form your own philosophy and, and kind of get things going um in the way you want to and that can only be encouraged like you know we we we're still in a bit of an echo chamber as youth snc coaches i think like mm -hmm. you'll go and you'll hear probably the same advice from similar sorts of people I, we need new people to come in for, with completely different perspectives on how to do this sort of stuff that's what's going to make um, a good youth snc coach in the future i think um, yeah. so just yeah audible get audible would be the best thing yeah. i've got audible i can vouch for it yeah I, I actually put that uh, as part of my cpd budget for the union so because i spend a ridiculous amount of dry, time driving from sterling to aberdeen to murrayfield to ravenscraig to inverness yeah. on the odd occasion 
and my my car is just a mobile classroom. I just I don't really listen to music anymore. I'm just listening to, to audio books from this person or another. Whether it's as you say, again across a range of disciplines, whether it's you know, in leadership, business, management, you know, psychology, yeah. whatever. I mean, you can get you can get sort of podcast and audible fatigue. Like there's sometimes I get in the mm-hmm. car, I really just don't have the the concentration to listen to this. But you know, that's why I sort of say pay for stuff. Like you can listen to podcasts, and there's no there's no um, consequence of whether you listen to that podcast or not because it's free and it doesn't matter. Um, but when you've paid for something, you're paying for a membership, and then every every now and then you see that coming out of your account. You know, that's your skin in the game. That's like, okay, I paid for that. I need to do something with that, and I need to watch that webinar, or I need to go over and I need to read that PDF document. Like that's an important thing, and there's you know that that will make you, I believe, probably more likely to apply and actually try to integrate and use that knowledge as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's costing you something, so you're gonna you're more likely to follow through. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and your work and get in touch if they want to take you up on that offer of the app? Um, yeah, so uh, acbcoaching.com, that's my website. Uh, it's actually just being redeveloped. So I hope the servers don't crash with the immense amount of traffic that this podcast has generated. <laughs> there's no website for them to go to. It should be finished off today, actually. Um, um, but maybe there's a delay. when that Stephen, is it? Get the whip out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, find me on Twitter, acbcoaching.com. Um, or, or Facebook. I'm in, in youth SSC groups. I'm in um, Andy Bruce on, on Facebook as well. Just come and find me. Um, my you, I, you can put my email address at the end of the uh, uh, the podcast or give me a call or a text. I'm happy to chat with anybody. I'm happy to have people come along to Taylor's and look around um, and uh, and get involved in, in the SSC stuff as well. Fantastic. Well, Andy, thank you very much for your time today. It's much appreciated. I really enjoyed having a chat um, and I'm sure we'll catch up soon at, at another conference in the near future. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear your reviews and comments. So please do leave us a review on your chosen podcast player. If you want to visit us on social media, you can do so using the handle at Athletic Evo UK on Twitter and Instagram or by searching Athletic Evolution on Facebook. You can also visit us at www.athleticevolution.co.uk. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.